Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. I'm Laura Clivens in San Francisco. At the UN Climate Conference in Glasgow, Scotland, state senators from California and their counterparts in Washington state discussed merging part of their cap-and-trade markets as a means of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. KQED's climate editor, Kevin Stark, reports. Critics of California's cap-and-trade program argue it allows industry to pay to pollute and doesn't actually reduce planet warming gases. The program caps emissions and allows businesses to buy and sell credits at auction on a state-sponsored marketplace. Washington passed a program this year modeled after California's, but with one major adjustment. Here's Fremont Senator Bob Wachowski speaking to reporters from Glasgow. They've tied their allowances to actual reductions. It's not cap-and-trade. They're not trading out pollution, they're saying everybody has to make actual reductions, which is an improvement on the program. California officials are reviewing the cap-and-trade program and plan to update it next year. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. Massive supply chain problems across the globe and here in California have been part of the conversation at COP26. John Botters is part of the Bay Area Air Quality Management District delegation attending the conference. He says the maritime industry is already a huge source of emissions in the Bay Area. Now politicians need to update the way that industry is legislated. For some of these um, industries that are the most impactful on climate, negative climate impacts, the, the push was do it regularly, um, actually like move, keep, keep resetting the bar. Botter says it may be too late to talk about electrifying ships. Hydrogen power might be a better, cleaner option in the near future. San Jose has become the largest city in the country to set an ambitious goal of going carbon neutral by the end of the decade. In a unanimous vote yesterday, the city council approved a 2030 timeline to achieve net zero carbon emissions. That means the city plans to emit the same amount of carbon dioxide as it offsets by alternative means, like producing electricity from solar panels. The state has set a goal of going carbon neutral by 2035. Give a listen to this. That's the sound of the tri-colored blackbird, courtesy of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. The bird, native to much of the Central Valley, gained protection under California's Endangered Species Act of 2018. Since then, populations of the tricolored blackbird appear to have stopped declining. As Valley Public Radio's Carrie Klein reports, that's thanks in large part to San Joaquin Valley dairies. Tricolored blackbirds have lost most of their native breeding habitats and wetlands, but some have found new nesting spots, silage fields, including the ones at Simon Vanderwoude's dairy farms in Merced County. They've found that these dairy fields are a lot easier to eat from 
and there's usually a, a barn full of grain next door. So I had 30,000 birds coming up to my grain piles every day and feeding themselves. Enormous colonies like this have popped up at more than a dozen dairies across the valley. The birds are in jeopardy if the grains are harvested before they've left, so Vanderwoude is among a small contingent of dairy producers delaying harvest. A program compensates producers like him for at least some of their losses. It was started in 2015 by environmental groups and the state. Here's Jeronimo Castaneda with Audubon, California. We're pretty confident that most years we're able to protect 100% of the most at-risk colonies. So that's a big win. Six years in, he estimates hundreds of thousands of birds have been protected. For the California Report, I'm Carrie Klein in Fresno. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind the scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. The massive infrastructure plan passed by Congress over the weekend now goes to President Joe Biden to sign into law. The trillion-dollar package has money for roads, bridges, ports, rail transit, safe water, the power grid, broadband, Internet, and more. We wanted to know what's in it for California. So we called up Serena Alexander, associate professor with the Department of Urban and Regional Planning at San Jose State University, and asked her. So first of all, create some jobs in the construction industry and also other immediately related sectors. So if you are employed in these sectors or looking for a job, you'll probably feel the impact. Then there's the ripple effect of every dollar spent by closely related industries as a dollar moves through other industries and also through the local economy. So even if you're not in construction or related uh, fields, you will still see the impact in the local economy. Uh, And eventually the the funding is large enough that it will make the U.S. economy more productive uh, and theoretically the U.S. consumers will see the impact of this in the goods and services that they use. My understanding is that the majority of funding for transportation in California comes from local and state sources. Can you give us a sense of what piece of the pie this infusion of cash would be? 
So, of course, not all of that money is going to be spent in California. And it is expected that, you know, the state government and also other levels of government in California will be still involved in funding transportation. But it will definitely make a big difference, especially as it is related to, uh, you know, maintaining and upgrading roads and bridges. There is a large amount of money that will be spent in roads and bridges, and we haven't, we haven't seen that, uh, you know, in that amount in many years. And also this allocation of money will potentially create, uh, you know, things like new bus routes or improved transit service uh, that will help Californians, especially the seniors and the disabled and the people that are transit dependent. So they will see the impact uh, related to that. A lot of the things we're talking about is making transportation easier. And we in California our biggest emissions come from transportation. So how does this intersect with climate mitigation or adaptation? We have seen various changes to this particular infrastructure bill and also various iterations to it. And unfortunately, what we have seen, you know, over these changes is that some of the funding related to climate change uh, has evaporated in the process. But that said, the current bill still includes some investment in things like uh, electric school buses and vehicle charging stations that are important. And at the same time, it invests in public transportation, also investment in resilience. Um, so we will see some investment specifically related to how do we build a more resilient resilient transportation system. Um, as related to, you know, the goal of the state to reduce emissions from transportation, we do know that it has been very tough. Uh, transportation has proven very difficult to deal with in terms of emissions. And, you know, in terms of meeting our transportation emission goals, we have to make drastic changes in the ways we see mobility in California and also in the nation. The bill will help move us towards those goals a little easier, but uh, I think that we still have to continue to come up with innovative strategies to think about mobility in a way that will uh, address climate change in the long run. That was Serena Alexander, Associate Professor with the Department of Urban and Regional Planning at San Jose State University. With many holding anti-vaccine signs and American flags in Los Angeles yesterday, hundreds of public employees like firefighters and sanitation workers protested vaccine mandates outside of City Hall. Here's Michael Cunningham of the anti-vaccine mandate group Firefighters for Freedom addressing the crowd. We're here to send a message. We're here to send a message to the city. We're here to send a message to the state. And we're here to send a message across our great nation that we will never back down. The California Report's Saul Gonzalez spoke to people in the crowd and met L.A. County firefighter Mark Bauer, who talked about his opposition to the mandate and how much he was willing to risk. Why is it important for you to be here? Because we need to show in numbers that we're here to stand up for our freedom of choice, to choose what we want to be put in our have put in our body and what's your calculation how far are you willing to take your personal protest against being vaccinated are you willing to lose your job yes you are yes i will not be getting vaccinated i have a choice to not get the vaccine or not comply with any of these what i would call ridiculous mandates 
and I'll suffer the consequences. I think it's ridiculous, and I'm not asking for pity. I'll figure it out. So we would just say, thank you for your service. Good luck to you. Probably not. They'd probably say, you're an idiot. You should have got the vaccine. Most people, or not most, a lot of people I'm would being say polite. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Let's be real. No, let's not yeah. be polite. This isn't polite. Yeah, a lot of people would say, you yeah. are an idiot. Yeah, I mean, this isn't about being polite at all. This is, this is an overreach, a massive overreach of the government, the local and local and state government. It's a massive overreach, in my opinion. L.A. County employees had until October 1st to submit proof of their vaccination status, but thousands still haven't. A city of L.A. mandate requires municipal workers to get vaccinated by December 18th or receive a medical or religious exemption. Fast food workers across California will walk out today to advocate for better working conditions. KQED's Shireen Kareem has more. The workers are calling for the passage of Assembly Bill 257, which would establish a fast food council to set standards for industry wages and working conditions. Crystal Orozco is a shift supervisor at a jack-in-the-box in Folsom. She says that she was threatened with reduced hours after she complained about a lack of breaks. For the bill, it gives us the opportunity to be able to talk to the main people and voice ourselves and not go through the lower management, you know, and this will give us the opportunity to skip them and talk to, the, you know, our employers directly and let them know what's going on. The council would include employees, franchises, and representatives from government agencies and corporations. For the California Report, I'm Shireen Kareem. After burning nearly a million acres, the Dixie Fire, which started in July northwest of Lake Tahoe, was fully contained late last month. But for many communities in Northern California, the recovery process is just beginning. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has the story of one organization's efforts to use items charred in the blaze to rebuild. Many staff members at the nonprofit Sierra Institute for Community and Environment know firsthand how devastating the Dixie Fire was. Executive Director Jonathan Cusel says many lost their homes in the fire, but they're now helping to provide some hope for communities like Greenville, which burned to the ground. The Institute has partnered with a logging company that has been in Plumas County for generations to purchase a local sawmill. Cusel says the hope is to repurpose trees that burned in the fire, and turn them into materials that can be used to rebuild homes and businesses. We're rebuilding a bunch of different things, but make no mistake, in the short term, we're also rebuilding hope. Because a fire with the devastation of Dixity damages all sorts of things and extinguishes hope, and people wonder if they should even stick around. All this will provide lower-cost lumber to the community, as many residents have lost their jobs and are going to struggle to rebuild. Cusel says they're not just using trees that burned in the fire. There's a lot of material that has to be removed to have safe uh, roads to allow people to rebuild so there's not a large dead tree that's going to fall on whatever they build. So much of that has to be removed. We can chip it and it'll go to some low value use somewhere or, and scatter it, or we can actually put it to some use and ideally value that can support also some jobs as well. Cusel says the hope is to have the mill up and running within the next month and show the community that they're not going away. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt. 
whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, November 9th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Laura Clivens. Thanks for listening. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.